0: We're back in the uh, teaching that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. We took a little one-week break last week. If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to that standalone uh, standalone message. But we are back into the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning, we're just going to jump right into our passage. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. And it's a it's a weird idea fasting. Why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody when they get hungry deny themselves something to eat? Isn't the road to the good life after all making sure that anytime you have a craving for anything, you find a way to get it in the shortest delay with the shortest delay possible? If you've ever been a parent, you know the number 1 rule in parenting is Make sure your kids always get what they want the very moment they want it. (laughs) Or here, if you're looking for a potential spouse or an employee, the number one quality is to look for somebody who demands the immediate gratification of their every desire. Yeah, not going to work. So fasting really is weird, and I'm not going to try and talk anybody into giving it a shot. You're not going to want to do it. I know. It's a strange ancient practice that has no place in our enlightened world. It's it's for the emaciated monks in loincloths who just enjoy being miserable. But Jesus did cover it in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to have to talk about it. In fact, it's not just Jesus. If you were to look at the people in the Bible who participated in fasting, it would be a who's who of fasting in the Bible. It would cover people like Moses. He fasted. So did King David, Elijah, Ezra, the priest, uh, the prophets like Zechariah, Jeremiah, and Amos. They all fasted. Matter of fact, Isaiah, he called for a great fast that would be connected to social justice and care for the hungry and the poor. When Queen Esther had to risk her life by protesting to the king of Persia, she first went with her friends and spent three days in prayer and fasting. And then she asked all of the Israelites to join her in fasting and prayer. So on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, all of Israel would fast in repentance of their sin. Then in the New Testament, there's this old woman named Anna who actually prepared to recognize who Jesus was by her prayer and fasting over a lifetime. John the Baptist, he fasted. Jesus himself began his ministry with 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. And I know, you don't need to fast. And, but I'm just having to tell you what's in the Bible, okay? So when Apostle Paul met Jesus, he fasted for three days. Then later, the early church worshiped with fasting and prayer when the Holy Spirit told them to commission Paul for ministry. Then later, Paul would fast and pray to identify elders for the churches he began. So fasting is associated in the Bible with repentance of sin. Fasting is associated in the Bible with great breakthroughs in prayer and life. Fasting in the Bible is often a part of worship, often accompanies request for guidance. I'll tell you how highly Um, Fasting was regarded in this weird world of the Bible. You might remember Jonah. Jonah was the guy that was given a task by God to go to this great city called Nineveh. Nineveh was somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 people. In our world today, that's not a very big city. In the ancient world, that was a humongous gathering of people. And, And God was fed up with their wicked ways, and so God told Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites, so he said, Forget it. I'm going to Nineveh's that way. I'm going that way. So he jumped on a boat. He got thrown into the ocean. This big whale came and swallowed him up and then regurgitated him up on the beach close to Nineveh. And so he finally gave in and relented to go preach this message to the Ninevites. Here is the sum of his message. I think it was probably the worst message ever preached. Here's what it said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the end of the message right there. He walked into the city and that's all he said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, There was nothing about God. There was nothing about God's grace. There was nothing about repentance. There wasn't anything on how you should respond, but listen to how the Ninevites responded to the message of Jonah. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, this is a pagan city. And on their first day of faith, they go into fasting and they go into prayer. Now, not just that, but the king of Nineveh issued a proclamation. It says He said this, By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, let them call out mightily to God, let everyone turn from his evil way, from his violence that is in his hands, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. It's not just the pagans, it's their animals that are fasting too, and I'm pretty sure they weren't that happy about it about the only character or characters in the book of Jonah that weren't fasting were Jonah and the whale, but the whale kind of did a reverse fasting. After he got rid of him, you know, Jonah, and it was only Jonah that really didn't, didn't fast. So here's the thing. You do not need to do this. But just out of curiosity, why was fasting such a big deal in ancient times? In fact, it wasn't even... Invented in the Bible it, it, it started and was practiced by sages like Confucius in the ancient Greece, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. they all fasted and it was a practice that helped for a human flourishing. That was the mindset behind it in the Bible then, particularly with Jesus, it becomes a way to experience and depend on the reality of the kingdom, the presence and the power of God in ways that we might not know, but we will see. Fasting then is simply this, abstaining from food or possibly drink or other things, and it's for a period of time. So you can decide on how long the period is. It has to be long enough of a time to experience some kind of hunger. So from breakfast to lunch is not a fasting period. Just get that really clear in your head. okay? But you can decide how long it would be. When I first began to fast, and I haven't done a lot of it, and when I began to see how much the Bible had to say about it, I really didn't want to do it. I mean, I really wasn't that interested. I've done it on a number of occasions, but I wasn't that psyched about it. And so let me just say this, because some of you may have the same thoughts that I have. You might be like me, okay? Um, I love food. I love butter. I love chocolate, spaghetti, hamburgers, ice cream, and creme brulee. I love peanut butter, hot cinnamon rolls, barbecued short ribs. I love freshly baked bread. I love Krispy Kreme. I love In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A. Some of my favorite people are Papa Murphy, Betty Crocker, Colonel Sanders, Mrs. Butterworth, Chef Boyardee, and Pillsbury Boy. Those guys are my heroes. So now, fasting doesn't mean that it's, it's wrong to love food. Food is God's idea after all. Matter of fact, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, he said, give us today our? Amen. amen." We love food. But the problem is our desires need to be disciplined or they become our gods. It's true not just on food. It's true on a whole bunch of other things. And the first thing I noticed the first time I fasted was I got really hungry. My body was telling me that it insisted on having its own way. And and I I really learned how much food had a grip on my life. Guess what I thought about the whole time I was fasting? Food. Uh. Some of us use food or drink or some other substance to try to comfort our flesh, to avoid having to face boredom, the fear of something, a lack of self-worth. Uh, inner emptiness, or a feeling that our work doesn't uh, doesn't give us the value we want. And I began to learn this when I fasted, that there is, in this, in fasting, you will begin to discover it's possible to have an unsatisfied uh, appetite and still survive. Wow. Eventually, You can learn it's possible to have an unsatisfied appetite and actually thrive. We learn in small ways the art of suffering happily. I know, you don't need to do this, I get it, but it's really interesting, this whole idea of fasting. Matter of fact, we've got a short little video, Um, it's a little research that they did with kids on the marshmallow test, so let's watch that together. Or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? You need them. All right. Well, we've uh, swapped out communion bread for marshmallows this morning. I, you know, I, I like that video. I just don't know what your marshmallow is. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's wrong relationships. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's being judgmental. We'll talk about that one in a few weeks. Maybe it's indulging in uh, resentment. But I do know this. I know what temptation does. It whispers, you're entitled. You've been working hard. You've already resisted so much. Your spouse doesn't understand you. You're entitled to be happy. What you want is not that bad. What you want will feel so good. The Children in this study, by the way, were learning to do a tiny 15-minute fast. 15 minutes is all they sat in that room for, fasting. What's remarkable is the children, uh, they were at age five when they did the study. They're able to say no to marshmallows. Those ones grew up. With healthier bodies, they did better at school. They were more successful in their work. They had more stable relationships. Okay, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Fasting is is a little practice God gives that can help you be in charge of your body instead of the other way around. There's this great time. To talk about the role of spirit this is a great time to talk about the role of spiritual disciplines in the life of a disciple. Paul wrote once about athletes trying to win a great contest. He said, "Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What does an athlete do? They go into strict training. You know, Paul also wrote a letter to his his spiritual son, Timothy, and he told him this, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourselves for godliness. This is why Jesus says, a disciple is not above his master, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, the, the spiritual disciplines and practices are activities that train us or give us power to live in the goodness of the kingdom. And I know words like discipline or training are really awful words. They sound so unattractive. And who wants to do that? But this is really the key. Spiritual disciplines are not necessarily unpleasant. What discipline you need to practice depends on what you're training for. So if you're training to go running, run a marathon, you need to practice running. If you're training to, um, let's say, get into a pie-eating contest, you need to eat a lot of pie. If you eat a lot of pie every day, a year from now, you'll be able to eat much more pie than you can right now. And more than what you could do today if you really tried hard. In the Bible, for instance, one of the greatest commandments is rejoice. Joy is the second in the fruit of the Spirit. Often people hear and think, I have to try harder to be more joyful. No. Trying harder is not what is going to make you more joyful. Trying harder just kills you, especially when it comes to your spiritual life. It's no better than... uh, It's no better trying really hard than to run a marathon today. I mean, it's like, I'm going to try really hard today to run six miles. I don't run 60 feet, so it's just not going to work. Now, this will involve what sometimes is called, when you think about the discipline of joy or expressing joy, it's called the discipline of celebration. And you'll notice the Bible has a lot to say about feasts, holiday, music, Expressions of praise and gratitude. So if you struggle with joylessness, take one day a week and train for joy. Have a day of celebration. Wear what you love to wear. Eat what you love to eat. That's the marshmallow day. Listen to the music you love. Be with people who fill you with joy. There'll be other people. They're kind of known as joy suckers. They're like black holes of joy. You can tell them, I cannot be with you today, this is my joy day, I'll be with you tomorrow. You see, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is always freedom. The reason a pianist practices scales is so that they're free to play great music without worrying or or being effortful. They just play. This is true of anybody who wants to be great, a great athlete practices a great musician practices, a great um, artist practices. You have to practice if you want to be great at it. And the purpose of disciplines, including spiritual disciplines, is to be able to do what you need to do when you need to do it. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end, which and which ones will help you depend partly on what you struggle with. So if you wrestle with gossip, you may need to practice the, the discipline of, of silence, that'll probably help you with gossip. If you tend to go to isolation, the practice of fellowship will help you with that. If you wrestle with hurry, then deliberately practice slowing down, that'll help you. Which means for some of you, at the start of your day, you need to start earlier rather than later, so you're not in a hurry. Now, fasting is a means to an end, too. If you never struggle with impulse control, if all of your desires have learned to quietly wait their turn, if your appetites for food, sex, money, pleasure, power consistently say, no, 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 don't gratify us when it might conflict with a greater value. If you don't need to fast, then don't fast. Or it may be that you struggle with an eating disorder. Just listening to this message has been painful to you. The topic of food is painful for you. I want to say, if that's you, I am so glad you're here today. This is a place where nobody is perfect. we all just a bunch of train wrecks apart from God. And God wants to flood your life, your body, with mercy and grace. It may be for that reason, or it could be for medical reasons. Fasting would actually be hurtful rather than helpful. And so we don't want you to to fast. By all means, I don't even want you to feel, feel guilty about the topic. Our quest is to live in the kingdom, immersed in love and power of God, not to see how many disciplines we can practice. That's the wrong kind of righteousness. But for some of us, you know, kind of like me, whose bodies are particularly stubborn about having their own way, fasting can be a helpful practice. Now, the most important dynamic about any spiritual discipline is I have to practice it in the spirit of humility, freedom, surrender, and grace. It's really interesting because there's a, a spot where the psalmist says, the guy who writes the Psalms, he says, I humble myself with fasting. Now, that's a great spiritual problem for a spiritual life. You can get proud about how humble you are. Jesus told a story about a religious leader. He's called Pharisee. And he would come out and stand on the street corner at his prayer time. And he would say, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. I fast twice a week. Now, the thing about um, ancient day in Jesus' days, fasting is that they would do it, they would fast. These Pharisees would fast twice a week. They would pick Monday and Thursday to fast because those were the big market days. And so they'd go stand on the corner in the market and let everybody know that they're fasting. They would be disheveled. Their hair would be a mess. They would have this look on their face. And, and what they're saying is as they're walking around, they'd say, look at me, I'm fasting. I can do it for days. I love God so much, I can make myself miserable. And I can make you miserable too. That was their whole idea. And so you end up worse than if you'd never fast at all. That's why Jesus describes another spiritual discipline in Matthew 6 that really helps with humility. Because you can't become humble by trying really hard to be humble. He says, if you wrestle with this, try secrecy. Do something good like fasting. Only don't tell anybody about it. You'll learn you can live without the gratification of impressing other people. In Jesus' day, when people fasted, they would often wear sackcloth. They would often put ashes in their hair. They would often and sometimes end up being proud in their humble, miserable devotion. Unless spiritual disciplines are practiced in humility and grace for the purpose of freedom, they can leave you worse off than if you'd never done them at all. But in, extreme, but in the extremely unlikely event that anybody here really actually wants to try this fasting deal, I'm going to give you two formats for fasting that you might attempt, maybe even this week. And the first one is this, fasting is feasting on God. Fasting is feasting on God. If you've never fasted before, do it for 24 hours. Just start off by doing it for 24 hours. And here's how I would begin. I would begin by eating my evening meal and then stopping, and I would fast all night long. I would fast through breakfast. I would fast through lunch, and then I would eat my evening meal again. If you want to try it, try it. Start off slow. You're training. Remember, you're training your mind. You're training your body. And fasting. But the, the, the result of fasting is that we want to feast on God. And, and Jesus makes a fascinating statement to help us with this. He fasts at the beginning of his ministry, as you might might know. And Matthew records this about Jesus' fasting. He says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Now, I sometimes think that this is probably the most unnecessary Sentence in the entire Bible. Really? After 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. We didn't know that? Hmm. But listen, what what Matthew really wanted us to know was that Jesus was a real human. He wanted to show the human side of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. Not just that he was fully God and fully man. He wanted to say, yeah, he's God, but guess what? He's just like you and me. After 40 days, he's really hungry. And so, what happened after his 40 days of fasting is that the tempter, or the enemy, came to Jesus and he whispers to Jesus these words If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. In other words, eat the marshmallow. You're entitled, you're the Son of God. You don't have to deliberately suffer. Do you know how Jesus answers him? Here's what Jesus said. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. From the mouth of God. Now, uh, Jesus really means this. He literally means that, that we can can, um, feast on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's not just giving us a pithy, pretty little statement. Food literally becomes a part of my body. I digest it. I dissimulate it. It becomes a part of my body. But then let's think about a word. A word becomes a part of the body. A parent says to a child, don't be afraid. I'm with you. From that word, the parent literally connects neural pathways in the child's brain. It causes synapse to form and allow the child to regulate themselves to comfort themselves, to encourage themselves with the reality that mom and dad are here. The word literally becomes a part of your body. Your body is literally, psychologically, neurologically nourished by words, by the meaning and reality words express. We live in a kingdom of words. I don't know if you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples, they were traveling through the the region and, and they stopped because it was mealtime. They were hungry. The disciples went into town to get food. Jesus stayed at the well. When they came back, they found Jesus having a spiritual discussion with a Samaritan woman. And, and after they came back and they saw what was going on, the disciples urged him. They said, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about people will often look at this statement and think it's just another pretty saying. But Jesus, not a pretty saying kind of a guy. Remember, we've been learning this throughout the entire um, teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, what is most real is God and His kingdom in our midst. The kingdom from up there coming down here right now. Jesus was feasting on the presence, the love, the meaning of His Father. It's so interesting. In the marshmallow experiment, the key to the outcome is what researchers call strategic allocation of attention. Strategic allocation of attention. In other words, it means if you think about the marshmallow, you're going to eat the marshmallow. If you try not to think about the marshmallow, you're going to eat the marshmallow. But if you think about a song, you think about a poem, you think about somebody else, you're not going to eat the marshmallow. In fasting, if I strategically allocate my attention to God, and you can do that right now, you can take the word of God into your soul, and it's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I allow my body's hunger to remind me I'm not in control. Somebody else is, and that's a really good thing. So fasting is feasting on God, literally. I want to say this, is that, that the words that we bring to people are either going to bring them health in their being, in their soul, in their mind, or we are going to take them to the place of starvation. We don't allow people to grow in their relationship with God by some of the words that we use with people at the the time. And let me just say this, the worst place that this takes place, the worst place that this is is seen is within the family unit. We say harsh words. We give harsh words. We do all these things that are negatively affecting the spirit and the spiritual well-being of one another in our families. Do you know why we do that? Because we have this thought in our mind, you have to love me. You're stuck with me. When it's parents and children, blood is thicker than water. I'm going to be your mom. I'm going to be your dad. You're going to be my child. You're going to be my sibling. You're going to be my brother. You're going to be my sister for all of eternity. And the and the funny thing about this is, is that we get away with saying some of the most horrible things to one another in our homes and in our families. If you were to say those things to your friends, you'd be friendless. You wouldn't have friends because your friends are going to go like, dude, you need to shut your cake hole right now. That's not nice. And I'm not going to put up with it. And so, adios. And so they they would leave. Okay, so the second thing is fasting as caring. One of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture is found from the prophet Isaiah in the 58th chapter. And and the people of God, they're complaining. They keep humbling themselves. they're, They're fasting. They're praying. They're crying out. And God doesn't even seem to notice. And finally, God gives them what they want. And so He tells them the problem. Here's what He says in Isaiah 58. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. This was, this was the place that they were going to in their fasting with one another. They were, they were just being mean to each other. And that's not the, what God intended fasting to be for. So what did he intend it to be for? He says later on in 58, this is what he says. Is this not the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The rest of this chapter, it's a powerful connection between the power of fasting rightly practiced And passionate justice for the poor and the hungry and the oppressed. And it has inspired movements of social justice for over the last 2,000 years. This chapter in the Bible. It's amazing. Fasting, when it's done to the Lord, is the opposite of self centered preoccupation with, look how pious I am. When I'm hungry, my normal response in the flesh is to think, how can I satisfy my hunger? All right, I have to make a confession here. You've heard me say over the last little while that uh, I'm a sugar addict, and my secretary feeds me. She feeds the monster. Because someplace in her office is a bowl of candy. I'm not telling you because I know there's other sugar addicts here. You can't have it. That's mine. And so when I get hungry, and I don't think I'm really hungry, I think it's just my brain saying, go get a sugar fix. i go gorge myself on candy until I'm sick to my stomach. Literally. It's horrible. It's such a bad thing. And so, you know, when we think about that, you, we think, how can I satisfy my hunger? And I know the term flesh can sound like a, a religious cliche. And so when you come across the word flesh in the Bible, you might think of this character instead of, you know, some kind of religious cliche. I want you to think of this guy, the cookie monster, because the cookie monster has a simple philosophy. See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. The cookie monster, he's not big on self-regulation. He just does what he wants, especially when it comes to cookies. I want you to understand that we live in a day where for all of our vaunted pride, education, technology, Many of the smartest people in our culture spend their lives trying to convince you that you're nothing more than a collection of appetites to be gratified. That's all you are. But if we do the Isaiah 58 fast, we will learn to be so obsessed, we will learn not to be so obsessed with our own appetite, which then becomes the glorious truth of the gospel of Christ at work in our lives. I'm just going to move right along into just kind of wrapping this up because I really think that the big issue for us is when it comes to fasting is that we have this idea that it is, it is of little to no value in our lives. And I got to be honest, I don't fast as I should. And yet I know that in in years gone by, I know that when we've come to major decisions within our own family, there have been times that Lorinda and I say, we're going to take the next couple of meals, we're going to fast, and instead of feeding our bodies, we want the Word of God to enlighten our minds. We want to turn our attention away from the table of food to the Presence of God, and we will spend that time sometimes together, sometimes separately. We want to spend that time together praying and seeking God for direction, seeking God for understanding, seeking God for where He would have us go. And the results of our prayer and fasting in days gone by is that we have now been here at this church for over 17 years with you because it was we got clarity from God, on what He would have us to do. But I have to tell you that, that the, the problem is, is that we get caught up in so many other things that we want to train ourselves in. We train ourselves on computer skills. We can train ourselves on shooting skills. We train ourselves um, on musical skills. Abilities. We train ourselves on educational things. We train ourselves to become better at what we're doing. I just finished a report that I have to hand in up to the district office. It's called my continuing education report. I have to have a minimum of 26 hours of continuing education a year. And so I train myself to be a better pastor. And yet the very thing that Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount is that we need to train ourselves in this whole area of fasting because it's not just the idea of fasting because what fasting will do is it'll lead to godliness. And after all, I want to be a more godly person. I want to reflect the character of Jesus more in my life and I want to to have less of Ken being reflected in my life. Because I know Ken, he's not a good guy. He's mean. He says hard things. He's, he's, he's just sometimes, okay, let's just admit it. He's a jerk sometimes. It's true. I sleep with that guy. Not a nice guy sometimes. And so there's that whole training in godliness that we get. And part of that comes from our spiritual disciplines, training ourselves in spiritual disciplines. And one of those disciplines is, is fasting. We're going to have a meeting on Tuesday with our new governing board. We've got new people coming in, participating in new positions. Fred Moore is our, one of our new elders coming in. Fred is going to be in charge of our prayer time here at the church. All of our prayer ministry. With, prayer, with with Fred. So if you want to know something about prayer, talk to Fred. He doesn't even know what he's doing yet, but we're going to have you go get him. Send him an email, get on his phone, make his life, you know, I mean, just make him, get him busy, get him busy. Right, Fred? Amen. Amen. But one of the conversations Fred and I are going to have, we're going to start talking about corporate prayer times. We're going to talk about when do we, as corporately, say we're going to, ask you to fast this week. We're going to ask you to fast maybe some meals. You know what? That's the first thing we think about is food, is that we're going to fast from food. My wife cannot fast from eating food because she controls her blood sugar levels by her food intake, by her, her carbohydrates. And so uh, I know this by heart. In the morning, she has to have 40 carbs for breakfast. Then at, at, br- at break time, she has to have 20. At lunch, she has to have 40. Then she has to have 20. Then she has to have 40, and then she has to have 20. I'm the opposite of her. I have 20, then I have 40. I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But, uh, so she, she can't fast from eating because it would just not be physically good for her to do that. There are others of you that should not fast from food, but you can fast from other things. You can fast from electronics. How many of you would just die if you fasted from your phone for three days? Some of you are going, like, my business would die off. Well, maybe Jesus might do something that you wouldn't expect. Uh, how many of you would fast, um, I, you know, I mean, from Facebook or whatever? I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can fast. L- let me just tell you something that I think is really important. We've never done it in the church. And so I want to throw out a little bit of a challenge to you. On Does anybody here know what March 6th is? It's kind of an important day. Say that again. Well, um, I don't know. It could be, you're the prayer guy, so I'm going to go, yeah, it's the National Day of Prayer. It's actually Lent. Now, if you don't know what Lent is, That's a a period of time, 40 days prior to Easter, where people prepare themselves, like Jesus prepared himself for ministry, of fasting 40 days in the desert before he went into ministry. Lent is is a period of time before Easter in which a lot of people will fast from things. Like some people will fast, heaven forbid, from sugar, let's say. Some people will fast, um, I think, my daughter, my oldest daughter, She does a Lent fast every year. And she will fast from different and various things. Um, I know people that will fast from alcohol. I know other people that will will fast from eating desserts. I know other people will will fast from watching television. I mean, there's a whole variety of things that you can do in Lent. And and I have not sought the Lord on what I'm going to do for Lent, but I am going to do something. And so um, before March 6th, I will tell you what I am going to fast from for 40 days. I would like you to have a conversation with God and then to have a conversation with either your spouse or a friend or your mom or your dad, somebody that you can say, this is what I'm going to fast from for Lent for 40 days. And what I'd like you to do is that in that that time during Lent, when you're fasting from whatever you're fasting from, I would like you to just take that time and seek God's face for what He would have you do in 2019. How God would use you. How God would step up and work through you. I think it's really important. So that's where we're going to go. So let me, let me bring this kind of to an end and, and, and go back and complete a section of passage I used earlier from First Timothy 4, 7 through 10. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have Our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Training. What is God calling you to step into deeper training? Let's pray. God, you know the things that have a hold on our lives, that have a tendency to Call us by name. You're the one that calls us by name. We've already, we sang that already. That you call us by name. You've called us out of the grave. But yet there are other things in our life, God, that, that call us. And sometimes their voice overrides your voice. They become a small g God in our lives. And we want to confess today that we are sorry that we ever let those things have any control in our lives. And so we ask God that you would give us the strength, the fortitude to step up to the difficult discipline of training ourselves for godliness. We pray God that you would strengthen our weak knees, that you would give us um, a mind that is strong in your word, that your word would come and hold us up and give us the ability to go to places that you're calling us to go. We want not just to hear your word this morning. We don't want to just hear your voice. We want to respond to it. and So we simply ask today, God, that you would grow us in your relationship through the disciplines you're asking us to step into and that you would train us through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.